because it is really a difficult job. I think CMO is in the middle of everything because they have to interact with finance, with engineering, with sales. You know, scarcity is a marketing advantage. From Orion X, this is The Marketing Podcast. Marketing as a function has transformed in significant ways. More technology, more data, more social, more blending of arts and sciences, more integrated with every other function, and ultimately, more critical to the organization. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Garnett as they discuss news and happenings in the world of marketing, from the boardroom to customer programs. Hello, everybody. This is Shaheen Khan, and with me is Doug Garnett. And for the next 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to discuss some of the highlights of the week as it relates to marketing. How are you doing, Doug? Good, Shaheen. How are you doing down there? Excellent. Glad to be back on this. So let's start with a topic in our pre-show that is a cray. So I'll let you introduce it. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, Wordle. So I watched it kind of begin to appear on my feed on Twitter. And I'm like, okay, what's this? What's this? What's this? And then I went off and played it a bit and and kind of, I mean, it is fun and found myself going back repeatedly and the like. And so I'm kind of coming to understand it. And then this morning, I see an article about it where they're talking with the guy who did it. And the article observes that the guy who made it made it for himself and his partner and that he violated all the what you should do's from the game industry about how to make a craze. And, uh, you know, he didn't do the, you feel like you have to play it obsessively, all the kind of gimmicks that I see in uh, Angry Birds. No, I don't play it anyway. But, you know, it's this simple game. I mean, what did he violate? How come you can only play one game and then you have to wait? Whatever it is, 24 hours. I love that because it's kind of a use of scarcity that's really really interesting. Scarcity is a marketing advantage. And when people get worried about being out of product, I was like, what? You know, scarcity is a good thing. So he violated a lot of things. I mean, the games and it kind of more intellectual word-like games. So it appeals to people who are wordies and the like. And that's very different than a lot of games. And yet it's, a, it's being played by millions around the world. It has the simplest graphic interface. You were mentioning that there've been similar games for decades, yeah. that the concept isn't new. Yeah, it is. My mom and dad, when I was growing up, they would play together in the evening, just as time for themselves, this game called Giotto, where somebody would pick a five-letter word and the other person would be guessing it, and you'd learn how many letters they shared in common. And they had a little keypad for it. I eventually was in, in college, I would play it on road trips, and you'd play it mentally on road trips, which made it really a challenge to try to remember which words you know, you guessed and things like that. So it's actually, it's just that same game. Here it has the limit of six guesses. And that kind of is a nice little tweak to add to it. You know, what I like about it is that it seems almost like he's finally giving the market what it wants. And it's Mm -hmm. not trying to manipulate the audience Mm -hmm. into spending more and more of their time and get reeled in. But hey, you want to play a game? I'll just give it to you. And that's wonderful because you feel like you don't have a big commitment of time that makes you feel guilty that you spent so much. So I feel like his understanding of what the market wants was Mm -hmm. really astute. I I think so. I think especially in a sense of, I've for years gotten frustrated when marketing folks say people want to be entertained, which I don't disagree with. What I disagree with is I think we have a very limited understanding of entertainment. We tend to think either big booms and competitive fights and multiplayer games and movies, but think about how many people do crosswords in Sudoku and all these things that we want to be, you know, that's entertaining to us. It's just not there at that time. So I think that's what I like about what he delivered the market one is we want that entertainment. Yeah. So he became viral by being anti-viral. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) By delivering something that has meaning to people who play it. 
you know, right. people who play it get some meaning out of it. Um, and I agree with you that the, the little bit. I mean, I'll take a brief break, do a Wordle, doesn't take very long, and then I can't follow it up, but that's okay because I've had my little break. Now, speaking of what people do wrong, one of the things I talked to you some time ago is my observation about marketing Twitter mm-hmm. is just the fraction of tweets about marketing that is negative energy, that mm-hmm. is about what everybody else is doing wrong or how dumb can you be to do X. And I don't sense that that's what happens in other communities. Like I don't have a sense that accountants talk to each other like this or Mm -hmm. engineers talk to each other like this. You know, they point each other to the right way, but not like dump on each other because somebody did it wrong. So what's going on there? Is that because that's how we get you know, we get clicks or is there some insight? I think it's several things. I think it is related to how we get clicks, uh, provocative, you know, marketers are the people who know that provocative things get looked at and get passed around. But I think also marketing is particularly tough to comment on because, uh, you know, in, in finance, they've got numbers and the numbers are not really arguable, right? I mean, if you look at the P&L, you can say, well, should this be in expenses or should it be in cost of goods sold? But you know what? I mean, that stuff could be argued, but not <laughs> the overall. Right. You know, in marketing, we don't have because you can't really get good measures that reflect everything in the overall. So I think some of it's turned loose by that, that in yeah. marketing, we're working with a funny kind of a fuzzy, fuzzier world than a lot of places. I think also there's a thing about marketing, which is marketing success tends to be individual and unique right. to the companies. Bingo. And so I know for myself, I don't often say everybody should do it this way because I don't ever believe everybody should do it that way. Some companies could do it this way. And if I come out and say some companies could do it this way, then I partly I sound wimpy. And then, you know, other people are like, oh, come on, can't you get, you know, well, all right, I'm not going to do that. And so sometimes it's a stronger point to say, hey, look at this. I wouldn't have done that that way. Yeah, you're absolutely right that the context is missing. And I find myself thinking this. I don't always say it, but I find myself thinking that, you know, if somebody's doing it that way, well, maybe they had a reason to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Maybe the realities of what they had to do compel them to do it that way. It wasn't because they didn't get it. It's because they did get it. And this was the only way that it could be solved. And, you know, why don't we try to understand the context more? Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. Unfortunately, context is so private to most companies that then we're all struggling with, like, how do we figure it out? So, yeah, I absolutely understand. Right. So I think it's a combination of marketing just being a very broad and difficult thing to do to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then you add to that the context, like you were saying pre-show, that it's all different. That, you know, you go from point A to point B, you know, that's the example you were using. You don't go exactly the same way. Yeah, I mean, that example that, you know, if you're an you're explorer or a pioneer, you start out in St. Louis to go to Oregon in, the, you know, 1840. You talk to somebody who's done it once and they give you all these detailed directions. Well, you're never going to do it the same way because everything changes. You're different. Right. The path is different. The people you have with it are different. Somehow we have this belief in business that we can copy what somebody else has done. But we can't because we're different and the ground we walk on is different. And that's yeah. really tough about marketing. All right. So the next topic we talked pre-show about was Peloton. Yeah, and Peloton. <laughs> yeah, all right. Like, take us through what the news is there. All right. So the new news is that Peloton has shut down their manufacturing for a period of time because demand that was being pushed, they believe, by the pandemic is starting to fall. On the other hand, to uh, have it go public that you've shut down your manufacturing is not something your PR department ever wants. 
I followed Peloton not because I'm really deep in the details, but because it's really quite entertaining. I, you know, they've always bothered me a little bit because so many of their moves are investor oriented and not customer oriented, I think. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of stuff from them that seems to be trying to make sure the investors are happy more than the customers are happy. And that always stands out for me as a red flag on about a company. Right. Now they have a software only product that seemed clever and interesting and it could expand their TAM. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, Adobe had an ad in the very early days of web and e-commerce mm -hmm. where there's a baby sitting at an iPad clicking on buy, buy, buy. Right. And uh -huh. every time the baby clicks, another encyclopedia is being requested. <laughs> and then they would zoom in on the encyclopedia company saying, we're back. And yeah. in fact, it was a false demand. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I'm deep into the book, The Cult of We, and, you know, reading about how uh, we created a, an appearance of demand and an appearance of success without it being there. This guy, Ralph Bunch, once wrote that nothing succeeds like the appearance of success. And I think there's some truth to it. You know, I think it was Bunch. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't mind the fact that that is true, but the companies I like and the companies I like their success are companies who know they have to create an appearance of success, but also know there has to be truth to it. And right. there are companies right. around that don't. So the other topic that came up this week was competitive advantage. Yeah. And there were several papers and articles that were mentioned about what competitive advantage is and books too. Mm -hmm. and how you go about establishing. Comment on that, and I have some thoughts on it, too. Yeah, boy, that one's, it's such a broad topic. I was reading the, the post by uh, J.P. Castlin, and what I really liked is his discussion that nobody can agree on what competitive advantage is. I liked that because I do think it's one of those ideas that we all say, oh, yeah, you've got a competitive advantage. But then you say, okay, get specific about it, and we kill ourselves in the specifics because all of a sudden this definition is self-referential and this definition is circular and this, you know, you get into trouble. I mean, I think right. we all know it when we see it, hmm. but I think that it's tough. What I do like about what JP had to say is he kind of ends with looking at the competitors may not be your most important job. I mean, I think com some companies get distracted by the competition to the degree that they forget what they do well. Yeah, you definitely want to lead and drive rather than be reacting all the time. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But also competitive advantage, really, like you said, and JP said, it depends on what it is we're talking about. Like at some level, you're talking about national competitive advantage, global competitiveness, or you can talk about organizational competitiveness, or you can talk about product competitiveness. For most marketing people, though, it really is about sales and the dogfight of a deal. And, yeah. you know, and in that sense, it's not that difficult. If you have it, customers want it, other people don't have it, well, that's a competitive advantage. If you win a deal, it's probably because you had a competitive advantage. If you lost it, they, probably because they did. And to understand why is not a bad thing to do. Sometimes with a deal, though, your competitive advantage is the salesman. You know, that's what's really interesting when you look at that is, you know, it goes through. And I, I mean, I've won deals where we paid attention better than other companies and won because of that. In fact, I remember one deal where our system underperformed compared to the other guys. And yet we won the deal because yeah. we paid attention and dealt with the human side of it. So, yeah, I think absolutely. If we look at that whole bit, competitive advantage comes out there. Yeah, but that counts. If you want it, it was something that was a competitive advantage. Maybe it wasn't a product, maybe it was service, maybe it was this. And right. I think to understand that is really good. Now, our team put out a video series on competitive mm -hmm. intelligence, 
Okay. Because my view is that if you really want to think about it organizationally, you really want to think about competitive intelligence and have a process that actually allows you to pursue competitive intelligence like you pursue quality. But it gives you awareness of what environment you're playing in. And it's not because you're being reactive. It's because you want to just understand what your customers really want. A lot of it becomes really understanding customer desires. The data isn't just product. It's also market. It's also customer. It's also mega trends. And I think if you synthesize all of that on an ongoing basis, that can be a really interesting thing. I think companies who do that well, in a sense, that is a competitive advantage if they know how to do that well and work well with it <laughs> uh, in an ironic, funny way. Okay, it's a meta so. thing then. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a good competitive. <laughs> we just got meta. This is good. <laughs> right, right. We're going we're gonna to shy away from metaverse. But uh, you know, another topic that came up was the news that TikTok ousted its CMO, allegedly because he was launching new businesses and products uh, without sort of getting buy-in from his peers and management. Who knows what the reality is? But the news, nevertheless, was a flag to me about the complexity of being a CMO in this day and age. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, being a CMO is kind of is one of those unenviable positions right now, because I think, uh, you know, back to what we I said at first is, you know, as, as a CMO, you're working without tremendous numbers of measurable things other than sales. I mean, other than sales, you can create all kinds of metrics, but then you have to get people to trust them and they're not necessarily, you know, there's a whole game that's played there. So I think that CMO job has become difficult. I think CMOs lack some of the respect on the uh, executive team because they don't have those. And so I think I heard, you know, somebody has uh, talked about how, yeah, you know, the engineering VP comes back and says, oh, I got all this. And he puts up a report with all the numbers in it. They go through it. And then the marketing VP comes back and says, well, you know, that uh, Kendall Jenner put out a, a TikTok that really just took over the world. And they all look at them like, yeah, really? So what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what? I mean, a TikTok, they're going to kind of understand that. But still, CMO is yeah. a rough job because you... Uh, what was the number you were saying earlier in the in the lead up? Oh, I was saying that the CMO job is like radioactive material. CIOs too. And the joke is that the half-life is nine months. So if you last 18 months, you're doing really well. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, it's true. Uh, yeah, exactly. In my opinion, those who do last longer are the ones who get alignment, especially with the CEO and the board, but also with their peers. And sometimes that's because they're lucky and they have understanding peers and bosses, because it is really a difficult job. I think CMO is in the middle of everything, because they have to interact with finance, with engineering, with sales, with the board, with you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I remember when I moved from sales into marketing and how much I felt the fuzziness of the marketing job. I kept having salespeople turn to me and say, how come you marketing guys aren't delivering what we need? And I'd say, well, what is that? And they'd say, leads. And I'm like, oh, Lord, if you go back into what it takes to generate a lead, you know, we're talking about this amorphous blob of activity they're required to do. And it has to be a kind of a machine that's set up. But the salesman can only look at it as, do I have new leads that are going to turn into money for me? So marketing, all of a sudden, you instantly step out of this pretty measurable world into this fuzzy world. Lead generation programs are critical and important, but they depend on what's the perception of the company in the market and a ton of things. I will say, when we were talking earlier, I think uh, one of the unenviable challenges for the CMO at TikTok is TikTok has taken the world by storm and done a superb job of it and has set up something that appears 
pretty unique. But just merely taking the world by storm doesn't mean they have hit longevity. You know, that right. that thing that's going to last for a long time. And I don't know, should I say Vine? Um, you know, I think about other... <laughs> the original TikTok was Vine. Yeah, yes. Vine was the original TikTok. Or let's get out of the video and, I mean, think about Groupon. When Groupon was, everything was going to be sold through Groupon back in the late 20, 2005 through 2010. And as a retail guy, I, I know that there's a segment of people who will buy by coupon. But you know what? Nobody wanted to talk about that. They wanted to, Groupon was the next big hit that's going to take over the world. And then it kind of faded into, it's continued and made it, but it's focused. So I can imagine the CMO sitting there saying, okay, now TikTok, we've got this massive success. How do I help it become perceived as a useful tool? I mean, the other thing is that if you lead, you're going to break glass and step on toes. Absolutely. And if you don't lead, then you look like you're not doing anything. Right. So it's a really sometimes a no-win situation. I told you there's a quote from uh, Warren Buffett about, and, and he says basically the problem with a manager is if they do any, or an executive that's not an owner of the company is, if they do anything interesting, they have some chance of getting a pat on the back. And if it doesn't work, they get a pink slip. And he goes on to observe that no one ever got fired for being a lemming. And, uh, yeah, you know, and I think that's actually really difficult for CMOs because, yeah, we need marketing only works when you take some risks. But to be a successful CMO, that means you need to have a company and a CEO that understand that and will support you through taking those risks. And I don't know what I mean, this one sounds a little bit and I'm very distant from it. But it sounds a little bit like a guy who got in there and got frustrated with the fact the company wasn't paying attention to its need to move. And so he went off on his own. I mean, that's what somebody's portraying about it. If that really is true, it's not entirely surprising that does happen. But rather than reflect badly on him, some of that reflects badly on if he saw there was a need for the company to move and they weren't moving. That's also not good. Yeah, we, we, we don't know. We don't yeah. know. It could be a power play inside. I, I think we should conjecture perfect answers here, don't you? You know, oh, sorry. They don't exist. <laughs> of course. All right, good. So let's wrap it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care. Absolutely. Thanks, Shaheen. That's it for this episode of The Marketing Podcast. Every episode is posted on orionx.net and shared on social media. Use the comments section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Marketing Podcast is a production of Orion X. Thank you for listening.